If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. Last week I was actually at the Western Hunt Expo. I was exhibiting there. We had a booth for my Live Wild brand. But it was awesome to be able to interact with a lot of you guys that came up and talked and got to share hunting stories, a lot of people that really enjoy the podcast. And it was awesome for me to meet a lot of you, a lot of you probably listening to this podcast today. It was great to get to share those hunting stories and and see your guys' success and the way that the podcast helped you out or be successful last season. That really meant a lot to me. So thank you guys so much for all the support. If you missed the show, it, it was a lot of fun. We got to exhibit some of our new products for the Live Wild brand. If you guys did miss it and you're interested, a lot of that stuff will be dropping on our website. So remywarren.com, you can check it out. There should be some new designs for hats, shirts, Our rifle cover should be back in stock on there. So a lot of awesome things. But the thing that I really took away from it, talking to so many people, was a question that continually came up was in regards to stocking in that final push, whether it was with a rifle, with a bow, how to make that stock successful. And, you know, when it comes to spot and stock hunting, especially bow hunting, getting into range means everything needs to go right. And it also means that you have to activate that stealth mode and move in silent. In order to do that, everything really has to be accounted for because animals have hearing well beyond our limits. So if you're going to trick their ears, you have to know the rules of silence. This week, I'm going to break down those rules to keep you quiet and get you into range. But first, I want to share an old story from a hunt where stealth was the strategy and the wrong call almost blew it. Some hunts are just hot and it makes the hunting 
a little bit difficult. So in this particular hunt was that scenario where I was guiding for elk. It was actually a rifle hunt. And it was beginning of November and it felt like it was the end of August. It was just a hot week and the activity, the animal movement seemed pretty slow. It was one of those weeks where you just hunt as hard as you can, go to all the places that you can think about going and it's hard to turn up a legal bull. I think partially as well because it was kind of a migration area and there's just no reason for animals to move in. So I knew that if we had an opportunity, that was going to be our opportunity. We just had to work for that one opportunity and then make it happen, right? So sometimes when you got situations like that, it's tough hunting. You don't, you can't really wait for that ideal stock, that ideal situation. So on this particular morning, we decided to go into a burn and I was glassing from long range. So it was like about three miles, three and a half miles, probably something like that. And first thing in the morning, I caught a group of elk in that just darkish gray light moving up from the bottom where there would be water. It was like this creek bottom. And then there's all these fingers. So there's a, try to kind of explain it. There's a main ridge that came down. And then off of that main ridge was like three or four broken fingers. And they had burned but I guess it was like growing back in, it was a later, it was an older burn. So there was some growth back. So there's like thick stuff on the North face. And then the side that was on us was really bare. And then the ridge was pretty thick, burnt, lodgeable. So I could see him working into there and I just decided, okay, we're going to watch him because it's hot and they're going to need shade. And there's not a lot of timber around here. They're going to bed there somewhere. was my assumption. So I watched them work up and work across the hillside on a couple of ridges. And then they kind of started to hold up on this main ridge. Now, I kind of assumed that they would probably bed here and then just off the other side as the shade started to move. And my thought was they do like that super steep country. So to kind of build even more of a, I guess, example of what it looked like, it was the top was fairly flat, but the sides were extremely steep. So they weren't going to bed on the, on the face of this mountain. They were going to go up on that ridge. So they get up on the ridge and start milling around. And there happened to be one legal bull in the group. And there's a lot of cows in there. And that's the trouble is, okay, well, you've got a lot of cows. You've got a lot of eyes. But if they bed, that might be our best opportunity to get a shot because I don't know where they're going to go from here. You might think, oh, well, they'll come back out the same way, but there is feed everywhere. And once we got over there, the trouble with the way that this mountain laid out is you wouldn't be able to see where they were. We were sitting back looking into it, but there was nowhere that I could get where they're bedding where we could shoot across. So they're bedding on this finger, like this main ridge top. And then some of them kind of dipped over on the backside of that. But it was one long ridge and there was nothing across from it where I, it wasn't, wouldn't have been possible to like go around, look back in. Being a, a hard week, my thought was, all right, well, we're just going to move in there middle of the day once they get tucked in their beds. It's hot. I feel like they're going to bed solid for a while. And I feel like with this heat, the thermals are going to be drafting up. So we're going to have good wind for the direction that we're going to approach from. We're going to sneak down that main ridge on the top, but I figured the bull is going to be bedded off on the shady side in that little bit of growth. And so my plan was we're going to essentially have to crawl kind of past some of the elk that are on the ridge. We're going to be in super tight 
and then peek over the roll of the hill and hope that we can catch that bull bedded down below us where we can see. I would call this like a semi-low percentage stock, but I felt very confident. I, I was telling the guys, I'm like, look, I love bow hunting. If I was bow hunting, this is the play that I would make. You guys happen to have rifles. If I was spot and stock hunting these animals, whether it was a deer or an elk, I'd make this play because I think that it's going to pan out. I think that we're going to get a shot. We just are going to have to literally crawl into their bedding zone because there's going to be so many other elk around to find that one bull. And maybe we get lucky and he's up on the top and that's we'll get our shot, but it's going to be within bow range of shooting was my guess. It's a 30 to 70 yards, something like that. So they're game for it. We we make the big hike around. The time we got over there is probably mid-morning. I'd get say like 11.30, maybe almost noon. And so we're about to drop down onto the ridge where the elk are bedded. And, you know, I figured maybe some of these elk would be moving around. I was hoping that the bull would be right there at the top, but that wasn't the case. So we started moving in. I was glassing. I could see some cows, just heads of cows, bodies of cows in on this ridge. And where I last saw the bull was further down on the back, like tucking over the backside. So we had to literally crawl past quite a few cows. So we decided, I told the guys, I'm like, all right, we're going to drop our packs here. We dropped our packs, just got stealthy. I took everything out of my, I, I told those guys, I was like, hey, you guys leave your bino harnesses and everything here. We're, we're going to stash our packs. We're going to take off our shoes, which I generally don't even do for elk, but it was dry. It was super loud. Like it, there hadn't been any rain or water. The grass was super loud. I'm like, we have to be just completely silent. Because generally elk don't necessarily mind some noise, but it was just so crispy. It was just dry dirt, dry rock, dry grass. They kind of put themselves in a position where they could hear us coming if we made the wrong move. And I didn't want to alert the cows that we're going to have to literally crawl 50 to 70 yards past to hear us. I, there was a way that we could kind of stay out of their sight and move around. There's a couple of places where we're going to have to army crawl, a couple of places where we could kind of just crouch down. They wouldn't be able to see us. But if they started hearing footsteps and cracking and rustling and who knows, like stuff hitting objects, other things that are unnatural, it would alert those cows and it would blow the whole hunt. We hiked a long way to get here. It was time now to hopefully sneak in and get a bull. So we're taking it slow. I'm like, moving, glassing. I kept my binoculars so I could glass and, and make sure everything was good. We're sneaking in. I'm like, we're going to do a bow, an archery sneak on these, these elk. So we're crawling in and I was very adamant to the hunter about like, we got to be very quiet, you know, load up now, keep your gun pointed in a safe direction, safety on, like we cannot make any unnatural noises. So we're crawling down and I'm going, I kind of, there's a point where there's some elk probably, 50 yards away, a couple cows, like three to five cows in this little pocket. And you, they're kind of, this is general rifle. Like these elk have been hunted the first week of the season. They're on edge. They are not going to give us that extra little mistake. So we're crawling around and there's this, a lot of dried balsam root on this ridge. And if you aren't familiar with balsam root, some people like call it mule's ear. It's like very large, leaves and they're green in the springtime they have these yellow flowers on them in the springtime 
But in the summertime, they just crisp up and they turn into this crunchy alarm system. And so the hunter stepped on one of these and I'm like with my eyes looking at him like, what the heck are you doing, dude? You got to be quiet. So I was like, whisper to him, don't step on those plants. You got to be like that could literally just that could blow this entire thing. Like, okay, so we're moving in super stealthy. And we get to this point where I wanted to peek over. And at this point, we're like army crawling up there. And I peek over and I see there's like a little bit of a, a, a kind of a little finger ridge that comes down. There's a bunch of cows bedded. And I see the antler tips of the bull. It's a smaller bull, like a four-point bull, but it's legal, brow tine bull. And I see his antler tips in there. And he's kind of, there's some of that like regrowth brush, I guess it would probably be, I don't don't even know what kind of plants it was, probably like a dogwood or something, a little, I don't know, current, something like that. Maybe a little bit of, there's a little bit of probably like willow type brush in there, maybe a little bit of regrowth of alder, some, something thick. And he was bedded behind it where if he stood up, we could shoot him, but we just needed this bull to stand up. And I could see that the sun was starting to move across now. And he was in the, he had been in the shade. That's why he was there as a shaded hillside. But now the sun's starting to go back toward that setting position, like transitioning from midday. So my thought was the wind's good. The thermals are good. We're in position. You get set up to shoot and then we can hopefully get a shot. This is like I could I could peek up, see him, and from laying down in a sitting position, there wasn't really a good shot at that point. So there was a lot of elk around and a lot of, there's like elk below us, elk above us, and I just wanted to get into position. So if the wind did switch or they stood up right away, he'd be able to make a good shot. And the other thing is where we were lined up, there's a bunch of cows, so I figured if they all stood up at once, he wouldn't have a shot, and they just, it was nothing for them to just run over and, and be out of sight forever. So my idea was, okay, we're at this point and we're going to crawl up. We just needed to go maybe 15 yards down into the right. And we would have a good line on the bull. We'd have a good backstop if he stood up. Everything would be absolutely perfect. We just needed to be quiet and move a little bit further over. So just as I start to to crawl, (laughs) all of a sudden in my pocket, my phone goes off and I didn't even have service in this particular area, but it must have just been like we got down to a point where I didn't even know there was service. Generally, it's like I accounted for everything. I was mad at this guy when he was stepped on a balsam root plant (laughs) 100 yards away from the elk. And here I'm like crawling in and my face is just panic. And I'm trying to frantically turn it off, but I'm laying down on my uh, belly. And I, as I roll over, the phone just gets louder. And it's just like, it was absolute silence. And now my phone's going off in my pocket. <laughs> and so I'm pretty panicked. I'm trying to shut it off, but I can't get the button in. So I'm trying to go like from the outside of my pants, to like silence the dang thing. Finally, I get my phone out. And as I pull it out, I mean, it just sounded like I just figured the thing was over. It was just going to be over. I just blew this guy's hunt because I had my phone on. And they're looking at me just like, what the hell? And so I get the phone out, get it silenced, 
turned it off. I think it even made a noise when I turned it off. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't even taken the time to look up and, and see what's going on. Felt like it was lasting forever. It was probably a very short amount of time. And so I peek up, I look around and there's only one calf like pinned at our location. But for the most part, it actually surprised me. I, I figured for sure everything would be standing and, and freaked out. So we just let him calm down. I just decided, okay, we're just going to lay here and just wait it out a little bit. So we finally, about 10 minutes later, we, we slowly crawl back and then move down into position. And thankfully we were able to get a line on the elk and we couldn't get a shot where he was bedded, but we waited and, and actually about maybe 10, 15 minutes after we got in there, some of the cows started to get up and feed off. And then eventually the bull got up, we got a shot and he, and he shot the bull. But they definitely gave me shit the rest of the hunt about my phone going off because I was so adamant about being quiet. They're like, yeah, I'm really glad we took our packs off, you know, and didn't. And then your phone just rang within <laughs> 75 yards of the herd of elk. We ended up killing the bull, which was... A, you know, it was a tough stock and a tough situation, but that one call, that one wrong call could have easily blown it. And I think if it was mule deer, I don't think I would have, I think they would have blown out of there faster than I could have even looked up. So in that particular instance, the, the one thing I didn't account for, it, it didn't mess it up, but <laughs> it was pretty close to, uh, to ruining the entire stock and hunt. If you know me, you know that a thing that I like to think about when I am hunting is trying to account for all the little things that can go wrong. And when it comes to sneaking in spot and stock, being unheard is very important, especially for a lot of Western big game species, but primarily for deer and of deer mule deer would be the one that it makes the most, I'd say, sense to absolutely go in silent. It's the most critical when it comes to mule deer hunting with a bow. Like if a stock's going to get blown, probably first of all would be shifting winds. But within the red zone, that archery range, being quiet is extremely important. And if you're thinking like, well, I'm just a rifle hunter, I don't archery hunt maybe it's not as important. I honestly, well, last year, I didn't even think this would be a problem, but I spooked some deer that were within rifle range that I was set up on just with a loud cough. And I'd never had that happen before. So I have messed up and been loud or you're crossing a hillside and you're, you put those deer elk aware of your presence and they're honed in or, or pinned into what's going on. Other species like sheep necessarily don't care about that rolling rock sound elk sometimes you can get away with other noises but i will say that i don't know how many hunts have been blown by an unnatural noise within range i've had elk hunts where we've been set up on a bull in a similar situation like set up on a herd bulls in the timber waiting for him to come out and a guy hits something that like a zipper really loud or hits metal on metal that tinging noise and sends the herd running especially in areas where they're highly pressured and hunted a lot. Some of that unnatural sound of 
brushing up against a pack or catching things and busting through or a couple people moving loudly across a loud hillside can alert animals to your presence and definitely blow the hunt. And that's it. Ranges within rifle range, I would say four, even up to 400 yards or more. Um, depends on the situation and, and the animal you're hunting, but it's extremely important to not blow out your opportunity by being too loud. And when it comes to bow hunting, it just magnifies because you're you're getting into 30, 50. And last year, in my instance, I had to get five yards away from the deer. That was the only opportunity or option. So you have to completely embrace the idea of activating that stealth mode. And there's a few rules of being quiet that I follow that I think will really help you out when it comes to sneaking in and going unheard. So the first thing that I think about comes in the stock planning portion. And what I like to do is if I know I need to be silent in my approach, I need to plan a route that allows for silence over loud noise. So let's say I'm stalking a mule deer and I think mule deer is a really good example because it's the one where this is the most critical. Let's say we've got a, a buck bedded early season archery hunt. We've realized that the place that we need to get to is maybe 30 yards away from the deer. So our typical mule deer in the high country is going to put himself in a place where he's near a bunch of loud stuff. Maybe there's some thick brush on one side. There's some scree on another, and then there's a little path in between. So moving through that thick brush is going to be loud. Moving through that scree field is going to be loud. So we're trying to find the edge between those two things and plan that that is our approach before we even move. There's many times where I'll be watching a, a mule deer and go like, okay, I can come in from this, if I'm looking at the mountain, come in from the left side, drop down to that tree. I'll pull out my spotting scope and zoom in and go, ooh, that's a giant field of dried balsam root, which is a mule deer alarm system. I'm going to actually have to go around the other way. The wind will be good either direction. So I'm going to go actually from the right side sneak in and, and pop down to that tree because there's a little less obstruction that's going to be loud. Sometimes you can't necessarily plan for that, but in the times where I can, I'm going to plan for that approach where I can go unheard. Many times I might have to wait for that approach where I go, okay, here's something that's blocking his hearing. He's bedded right below a ledge or a cliff. I can move fast and get into position and, and go unheard that way. But we're going to watch out for the things that are loud, loud brush, loud rocks, shale, other stuff. So let's say we've got an approach and we encounter something where it's it's going to be loud or it's just dry ground. The way that I walk determines the amount of noise that you're going to make. So when you're placing your step, you want to distribute your weight. When I'm creeping in, I'm moving slow. I'm distributing my weight like toe to heel walking. If I'm walking, instead of heel to toe, I like to place my foot, feel the ground, and then move it down. One thing that I am big on, especially when it comes to mule deer hunting, I'd say nearly every mule deer that I've shot with my bow, I've had my shoes off. I've called it a shoes off situation in the past. So situations where it warrants, okay, I need to go into extra stealth mode. And the amount of noise difference between stocking in your boots and stocking in in your socks, your bare feet, or your moccasins is huge. I mean, it's it's exponentially quieter when I'm stocking in in my socks. 
And one of the questions I got last week at the Hunt Expo was, okay, how far out are you considering a shoes off situation? Well, it it is situational, right? So it depends on where the animal's at. If the deer's in a place where I can move in fairly fast and fairly quiet, like it's below a ledge somewhere, but I got to move down the ridge, you know, maybe I could drop my shoes at a hundred yards. If there's places where, okay, it's quiet, though there's not a lot of wind noise, it's really dry country, maybe I'll, I'll take them off 250, 300 yards out. Maybe we're, wherever I'd go, okay, this is rifle territory. I think like a thing I like to say about bow hunting is where the rifle hunt ends, the archery hunt begins in that position where I go, okay, I'm within rifle range, but I have to get within bow range. Often that's where I decide to drop my pack and shoes because it's far enough out that the noise of dropping my pack and shoes isn't going to spook them as well. So I, I generally drop them personally about 350 yards out, maybe a little further situationally. Sometimes I do it a lot closer situationally. Depends on the country. If I'm like got a lot of cactus and other stuff that I got to navigate through and then I can close the distance that last bit, but no, I'm unseen. It's a good situation for it. It'll be closer. But for the most part, if I'm within a comfortable rifle range, or even a far rifle range at three, 400 yards out, that's probably where I'm dropping my shoes. Now, the key to being quiet is accounting for all the little things. In my shoes off situations, I like to just go with my barefoot and socks. The reason being I can feel the ground a lot better and I don't have to necessarily have another thing with me. In the past, I've used a lot of different things. Sometimes I have an extra pair of socks, which is a great idea because in recent times, many, many of my socks have stickers in them and other stuff that just is a pain to hunt with the rest of the hunt. Sometimes I'll go no socks if I only have that one pair and I feel like there's a lot of grass and other things that are going to get stuck in the socks. Sometimes I'll just go barefoot. I have definitely pretty tough feet. I know that's not everyone. So if you've got some kind of moccasin or stocking shoe, those are great. I do think that socks and bare feet are definitely, I would say that's the most quiet way to stock in so it's my preferred method but every everybody could be a little bit different and so one of the things that i've learned is just all the little ways of staying quiet first thing i do when i'm stocking in with in my socks i tuck my pants into the sock and that's why i like to wear the socks because i can tuck my pants into it just that swishing of the pants. If there's no wind and you're sneaking in a mule deer on a dry hillside, that or the grabbing of your pants on different pieces of brush could be the difference to send them running. Another thing that I have done when it comes to bow hunting is sometimes I will drop my bino harness with my boots if I know exactly where the deer is and you know I've got a really good grasp on the situation, I don't necessarily need to glass. I do like to glass while I'm closing in. Sometimes I'll even drop that. Like I, One of my main rules is don't like have a yard sale on the mountain. But if I know for a fact I can find it again and I can mark it really well, I, w- I might, as I close in even closer, just drop that bino harness and then have my range finder as additional magnification but also you know for ranging for the shot and and i run it in a way that it stays out of the way isn't going to bump anything and is completely silent that's another thing whether you keep your rangefinder bino harness on all that stuff 
you got to make sure that your binos aren't going to fall out when you're crawling. You got to make sure that everything is locked in and tight, that nothing's going to slide out or just pulling the the sound of pulling the rangefinder out. Like these are all things that I think about when I'm stocking in. Another little thing is I wear a, a index. I shoot like a index release with a wrist strap. So it's like a trigger release with a wrist strap on it. I tuck that in. So if I have to, well, I do a lot of self-filming. I've blown many hunts where I'm within range. My release was hanging out. The release hits the tripod leg and sends the deer running. So that same thing can happen on a bow. It can happen on a rock. It can happen on anything. So as I'm stalking in, I've got that thing tucked or in my hand tight. So it doesn't hit anything. I'm trying to account for anything that can make unnatural noise, uh, clothing that might snag. If I got a, a belt or something else, like my, I cover up every, I actually cover my watch so I don't have that reflection of the light. That has nothing to do with the sound, but just another additional little thing that I do. And I'm super cautious about what's on me, what pieces might make noise as I move in. You know, when it, with a bow, as I move in, there's a certain point where when I put my, I've had this happen so many times when I'm guiding and a guy will, will be into position, got everything ready, and then he puts his arrow on where it, the knock, he like uses a lot of force and doesn't do it slow where the knock makes a king ting noise onto the string. These are all the things that can blow a mule deer out, especially when you're in position or, you know, the drop away rest clicking up or what are some other things like an arrow falling off the shelf and hitting the riser, like all the little stuff. I, I try to account for this. So I, I tape my riser with silence tape, the, the old school fuzzy like moleskin type tape that you can get wherever online, I suppose, or you could even just use a moleskin. Something to just dampen those kind of noises makes a big difference in your strategy of going unheard, thinking about all the little things and the big things like, silencing and turning off your cell phone, right? Like the wrong call at the wrong time, like the story could blow the hunt. In that particular one, it didn't, which surprised me, but it is one thing that I'm generally pretty good about. There are those times where I'll be hiking around, my phone will go off. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that reminded me. But I haven't really had it in the position where I'm in that tight and it goes off. So just thinking about all those little things makes a big difference. Now, there's a lot of other natural things that help with silence. Wind noise is one. So there are times where I'm planning a stock and, you know, maybe it's a deal where mid-morning is always quiet, but in the afternoon, the wind starts to pick up. If I can add a little bit of wind noise that helps dampen the natural sound of me moving in, I'm going to wait for that, if, if possible. Thinking about your approach and the type of terrain also makes a big difference. So really dry terrain you have to go a lot slower. A strategy for going quiet might be where the terrain is super loud, but your speed can dictate whether the noises you make become a sound of alarm or a sound that just gets unnoticed. So a stop and go strategy where you're moving a very small amount and stopping, moving a very small amount and stopping. That rhythm of noise or is shuffling and just moving can alert animals to your presence. Whereas a type thing where your noise, pause noise, makes a difference in something that just is natural. There's a lot of noises going on 
in the woods, in the mountains when you're hunting. A lot of times we don't even notice them. There's, there's so many times where I'm filming and I've got, maybe it's even like I've stalked in and I'm just waiting on an animal because when I'm self-filming, I run the camera a lot just in case the animal gets up. So I'll be like running it, running and running. I'll go back and watch the footage and you just listen and it's like, there's all these noises that I never even noticed when I was up on the mountain because I was so focused on the deer in front of me. I'm not paying attention to the noises. The only noise I hear is like my breathing, my heart and my little shuffling or crawling or every time I set my bow down, right? And those are the ones that I'm keying in on. But there is a lot of natural noises out there. If every time something made a noise, a deer blew out, they would be constantly running. They would very have a very unsatisfied life. So there are noises that you can get away with. And in order to get away with those noises, stopping going, slowing down, distributing your weight makes a big difference in moving in silent and going unheard. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. You know, it was one of those things just getting to talk to a lot of different people in the booth last week at the Hunt Expo. Outside of the Q&As where I got a lot of great questions, just in conversation with people, it was a lot of stuff around, man, what can I do different in my approach to be successful? Because I like get close, but not close enough. And there's a lot of little nuances to things, right? Like even one of the things that I guess should have talked about was, or will talk about now is the fact that like, just having a setup where you're moving quiet outside of the stock. I don't know how many hunts, a lot of things happen within that, we'll call it still hunting or moving from spot to spot. Or let's say you're, you've got a canyon, a rim, and you're like, go up to the edge and then you're cruising it, looking down, peeking over, coming back. It, it's in the course of the day of hunting and just having a setup where you're, moving quiet enough that things are everything like your pack is cinched tight things aren't flopping around slapping around in your in your pockets the way that your rifle or bow is being held or attached it's not hitting everything it's like you're moving through the mountains quiet and that's one of the things that in some ways a little bit of a gear change i do do i run stone glacier packs and they're an awesome supporter of this podcast and also, in my personal opinion, the best hunting packs on the market because they're light and they have a lot of, they're just designed the way that I like to hunt. Now, there is the thought of like, if you were like, I just am getting one pack, I would say probably get the largest pack and shrink it down for everything. But I do run a day pack or a smaller pack quite often. I really like the approach 2800. So it's a, it's got the frame but it's got a smaller bag and everything tends to just cinch a little closer and quieter. And that's the reason that I do run a day pack is if I don't need all the extra everything, I feel like on deer hunts or, or hunts where I'm hiking out for the day and I know that I'm coming back that night or maybe I'm just staying a couple days. I don't necessarily need so much room for a week's worth of food and gear. Just a couple days, a smaller pack is actually more quiet because there's less that can get snagged, less that's wrestling around. And I do like to run a smaller pack on those day hunts for that reason. Like I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I have both a larger multi-day pack and a smaller day pack that I can still 
I still want to be able to pack out with it, right? Because when I talk about day hunting, for me, it's like I'm probably covering more country. <laughs> there we go. I kicked a water bottle there. I'm talking about a podcast or I don't know if you can even hear that, but I'm talking about a podcast or <laughs> being quiet. I kicked a Yeti bottle into my desk here. You, you got to account for all the noises, whether on or off the mountain. I should be practicing sitting here at my desk, not kicking my feet into random things. But outside of that, you know, having a little bit different setup for different situations does make sense. Where I do run that day pack a lot. I like that lighter, smaller frame. I feel like I can move through the trees and brush a little bit smaller with a smaller or a little bit quieter with a smaller pack. And so for that reason, I do use a day pack as opposed to my 6800 where on longer trips, that's my go-to. But having that smaller approach pack is nice for things where I want to be more quiet, a little more stealth action, and yet still have the capability to pack out an animal at the end of the hunt. So just something to think about. You know, there's all these little things that you can do. Sometimes it's marginally different, a small percentage of difference, but sometimes those small percentages all add up to success where you're like, okay, I'm glad that I was able to have that pack where I'm moving through. I've got to like, I think about this in mule deer hunting a lot, how many times I'm like going through that thicker mahogany type brush and that's just a dead giveaway that catches on everything. And it would almost be nice. Like I wouldn't hunt without my pack on, but if you could just like drop your pack and sneak through that and then magically have it reappear on the other side and continue on, that's great. But that isn't possible in most hunting situations. So, you know, smaller size pack, a little day pack helps keep you quiet and navigate through that stuff. You know, I talked about the Hunt Expo and I actually did a couple of, seminars there, just Q&As. I try to run them like I do my call-in Q&A. And I really think that there was some awesome questions asked at this one. You know, it's a show that pertains to Western big game hunting. And there was a lot of guys from varying spectrums of just getting into hunting to have been hunting their whole life. So we're going to try to replay those for you guys here. We're going to just do a part one, part two, kind of back to back. So next Thursday will be part one and then we'll run part two the following I guess Monday or Tuesday something like that and then get back into our regular scheduled programming but I think that you, there's some questions in there especially when it comes to there's some really good questions on point creep questions on draws and application strategy hunt planning uh, some really good valuable stuff that shoot I could probably just pull those answers out and make them a podcast of their own but I think that it's valuable for you guys to hear some of the answers and some of the questions because a lot of the stuff is stuff that maybe I haven't even covered in these regular podcasts. So I think you guys will enjoy that. Make sure to tune in next week. And I'm going to say until next time, stay quiet. I guess I shouldn't say that. I should have just ended with silence, like five seconds of silence. And then people would, where, where is it coming from? Until next week. Catch you guys later.